Hello and welcome to the Men of Action. This podcast is developing to helping men become the best versions of themselves, learning how to unleash that war inside them. Men who may have felt like a zero until they recognized they had that hero inside them all along. They just needed just a little bit of help to pull it out. And to do that, I got a special guest today. I got Steve. He is a father of four, been married for over 30 years, a certified coach in health and wellness, and more importantly, and something that's incredible, he's also a hospice nurse. So Steve, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I appreciate the opportunity to share. Yeah. So Steve, why don't you tell us a little bit about your journey? Tell us a little bit about yourself. All right. So I am uh, currently 53. And as you mentioned, I've been married to my lovely wife, Chrissy, for 30 years. We have four, four amazing children. Uh, they are 25, 27, 28, and 29. So they're all in their 20s right now. Uh, life is a lot easier now that they're in their 20s than when they were all toddlers and in diapers at home at the same time. Uh, so it's been quite a journey. Uh, and as you mentioned, I'm a hospice nurse right now. I am, uh, I'm traveling as a hospice nurse. I've been doing hospice for over 10 years. Um, I don't know if you can tell the background, the silver here, I'm in an Airstream. We're in, uh, we're in our RV in Tucson, Arizona. Uh, we've been here for about six months doing travel work. Um, so that's a, uh, and, and as you mentioned, I'm a certified coach, just kind of breaking into that space. Um, been doing nursing for uh, working in healthcare for almost 30 years as well in various capacities. And, and we can maybe get into that later. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, that's that's a little bit about me. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, what made you decide to kind of travel? So did you like sell your house and just went and got an RV and like, hey, let's start traveling. Let's see the world or well the short answer is yes but it is not that simple not even close um we we've had a dream to travel since our kids were younger uh we actually uh my wife and i we actually wanted to be missionaries when we first got oh. married um and then we decided to to move forward with having a family pretty quick and uh felt like now's not the time to pursue that so we kind of put that on the back burner. We have done mission trips and done stuff mm -hmm. like that. But um, interestingly, on a side note, my two of my daughters, my two daughters, they, they're full-time missionaries now. So uh, sometimes the dreams that are in your heart may not be for you to be the first one to fulfill. Maybe they're mm -hmm. for you to plant in someone else. Um, not to say that we won't do that, but um, that dream of traveling has been deeply rooted in us. and. Uh, once our kids were out of the house, we decided to kind of move in that direction. I, uh, I found a job locally, which was a, tra a local travel job. Mm -hmm. um, so we were living in our house and I got a job as a nurse uh, with a travel company from New York. So it was kind of neat to, to interact with travel nurses and see what it was like and learn that there's actual hospice travel nurses. And we decided to, to move in that direction. Um, so yes, we did sell our house. Um, yeah. we are in between homes right now. We've been living here in the RV for about six months. Um, it's been good. It's been challenging. The, uh, uh, one of the neat things about living in a space this small is you can recognize that everything's really relative. Um, okay. 
you know, when we had all four kids at home, our home uh, in Ohio was, uh, uh, including our finished basement, about 4,500 square feet. So it was a big house, big house. And as they started to move out and we moved on to another home, it went down to like 1,300 square feet. Still, That's that's a big jump too. Yeah, not not bad. Not not a bad jump. Now we're in about 200 square feet. Um, So we uh, we joke about it now. But, you know, obviously that feels tight uh, at times. Um, But again, it's it's relative. And one of the ways we've uh, kind of mitigated that is we'll go camping in a two person tent. Okay. And when we get back to the Airstream, it feels huge. Oh, okay, that makes sense. (laughs) <laughs> and, and it has all the amenities of home so yeah. oh i can't i can't imagine just living in a small space like that yeah it has its challenges but it's it also has a purpose you know we're we're looking to uh, purchase a property and we're going to be able to do that with the uh cash that we got from the sale of our other home so um and we'll use that as a home base and travel for the next three or five years um okay. Travel nursing pays decent, um, so I think it will be a an, an advantage to us financially as well to uh, sure. to be doing this. So, what got you into? It's a good kind of segment, but what got you into the healthcare field? I mean, I love the field. I mean, to have the opportunity to serve others, mm-hmm. especially when you're talking about the end of life, and uh, quite honestly, one of the toughest stages that anyone has to go through. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I am, I I was a reluctant nurse. Um, yeah, to be, to be very candid, I hated nursing for a long time (laughs) and, and and I'll tell you why I got into it. So when we first got married, my wife and I had agreed that when kids come along, uh, I'm going to do whatever it takes for her to be able to stay home and, and raise our kids. So I had been working in a hospital doing uh, laundry service and transporting patients, real total bottom of the ladder kind of stuff. Um, and and I, had, I had gone to college for ministry. Uh, I took a year off between my sophomore and junior year. And uh, uh, I, knew, I knew someone as a CNA, a certified nursing assistant. Mm-hmm. And they said, the program's short and you can make decent money. So I I decided to to take the course and become certified as a, a, a certified nurse's aide. Right. Um, that's when I learned I didn't like it. Um, and so after that, I went back to college and, uh, and every time I talked to somebody about that course, I'd say the biggest thing I learned was I never want to do that kind of work in my life. Mm. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it, it broke the personal barriers between I, I was used to some distance, you know, I, I talk about getting up close and personal, giving people baths right. and wiping their, wiping them after going to the bathroom in the diaper. It's like that. That was too much for me as a 20 year old kid. Oh, sure. Um, but, uh, you know, when my wife got pregnant with my daughter, uh, she was a teacher and we decided that I was going to be the breadwinner and she would stay home. Mm-hmm. Um, that's when I really had to wrestle with, you know, am I going to man up and do what I need to do? Cause I knew what I needed to do to earn the income for our family. And right. that was take on a job that I hated. 
Um, it's a big sacrifice. It, it, but once that internal shift happened, um, you know, it, it was still a struggle for sure. But that initial, you know, I'm going to do whatever it takes for my family to be fed. Mm-hmm. Um, I ended up being a CNA for 10 years uh, as our kids were little. Um, worked full time doing that. I got really good at it. And by, you know, as I got into it, got good at it, it wasn't as bad. Uh, met some really fantastic people, learned a ton of, of stuff. And from there, I transitioned into uh, being an RN. Um, mm. uh, did some time in a, did some time. Uh, <laughs> I worked as a geriatric psych nurse for a while and in nursing oh, homes. Yeah. Um, skilled nursing facilities. Uh, and I went that route because the typical route, you know, medical surgical in the hospital requires rotating shifts. And I was like, mm-hmm. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna be away from my kids at their bedtime. It was, it was always family first in how I kind of navigated things forward. Um, so that kind of helped, uh, the, the kind of nursing that I, it helped me decide what kind of nursing I was I was doing. Um, And it was at one of the nursing home jobs that I talked to the hospice that was there and uh, they knew me and I, I knew, I I didn't really know what she did. And she said, you'd be really good at it. I know I'm being recruited for this job. How about I give them your name? Uh, Mm -hmm. And I was like, yeah. Uh, And that kind of got me into hospice. Uh, Being in a nursing home, you work with people who are at the end of life, but that's not, that's not the whole clientele. Right. So, um, yeah, I had a background that fit and, uh, I ended up doing that for 10 years. Uh, and it, it was a much, much better fit that, that finally, after so many years, I kind of found my stride in the nursing field. Um, mm. and yeah, so that, that's kind of the long answer to your, your question on how I got there. No, but it's, but it's such an important question, though, that does take time to describe going from a job you hated and then not just that, but having to wait time to find something you enjoy, mm-hmm. especially in our society that a lot of people just want instant gratification. They want to have like the best job, everything be pristine like right now. Yeah. And to take that time to not just grip through the job per se, but to sacrifice for your family. Well, you really had to think very critically about what is the job description, what's the details, what is involved. You knew they didn't want to do rotations, and that's what's really hard about the medical field. That yeah, well, like ninety percent, it's going to be some form of rotation. Yeah, yeah. So for you to figure out that hospice is um, not that way, that's that's incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, so, what does it entail to be like a traveling hospice? nurse like what like what's mm-hmm. like a typical day for you um so typical travel nurse contract will last about 13 weeks okay. um yeah so that from start to finish it's usually 13 weeks um i re-upped here in tucson that's why i was here for six months so that mm-hmm. you know um but you kind of fill in the gaps. So uh, typically in hospice, there are what are called case managers. And those mm-hmm. are the RNs who visit the patients on a weekly basis. That may be 
in their home, it may be in a nursing home, wherever the patient resides, these are the nurses who are visiting at the bedside, you know, checking vital signs, making adjustments to be sure that they're comfortable. And mm-hmm. um, so what a typical, there, there really isn't a typical day. Um, it would be maybe a more typical week. You know, I have- okay, we'll, go, we'll go with that then. Yeah, so between 10 and 18 patients that I have to visit in a given week. Um, most of the time we've kind of established a routine. So Monday, I visit these five patients. Tuesday, I visit these patients. And it, it's pretty routine that way, ideally, but things come up. So if someone uh, someone is getting close to uh, dying, um, mm-hmm. then we visit on a daily basis. And so I may be seeing that patient every day. If there are symptoms that are out of control, then we're going to be talking to the doctor and getting them the medications they need to, to be comfortable. Um, so there's that medical piece, but there's also, you know, one of the things about hospice is you're, you're there to help a patient in a specific medical situation, uh, the dying process, uh, but you're, they're not the only ones who are suffering. Anyone who cares for the patient. Yeah, anyone who cares for the patient's also going through something. So we're there to help support the family as well and uh, kind of guide them through what what is this process involved. Um, once a week, we or every other week, uh, we meet as a team. So there's a social worker involved, chaplain, there's home health aides. Uh, and we, every other week, meet as a group to kind of get on the same page and talk about each patient and, and verify that the plan we have in place is, is, uh, is appropriate. Yeah. Very multidisciplinary. Mm-hmm. Very much. Yes. Yeah. Honestly, the best form of care. I mean, from all the research studies I've done and everything, I wish more things were like that, getting everyone on board to really look at a patient, a consumer, mm-hmm. someone who needs help to really make sure that almost everything's being done possible that you can to really develop that kind of time for them. Yep. Yep. That's, yeah, hospice is definitely multidisciplinary. Um, it's very good that way. That's awesome. So what are some like kind of, and this shit on the podcast, we really focus on like men becoming like mm-hmm. action takers. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, you know, as men, sometimes we're more, you know, bark than bite. You know, we'll speak a lot, but we don't take much action. So wherever you kind of like, in the pinnacle of your life really notice like what well, you really had to take action you know you can't just like do a lot of the talking like you had to show it mm-hmm. um well that that that's there's been like a lot of different opportunities mm-hmm. that way but kind of thinking about that question is one of the things that comes right up to the top is what i already mentioned when my you know that that struggle that I had doing what I have to do to feed my family, even if it is what I don't want to do. Um, that was my daughter's 29. So it was a different world in some ways back then, you know, there's a lot more opportunity now than there was then as far as online stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, it's like, this is way pre. So, I mean, it's not just, there was no Facebook, you know, the, the internet was 
just coming uh, out really i mean yeah aol dial up and there was nothing on there except for, it's like every time i hear that tone you know the the i know what that yeah that that was after my kids were born it's like um but but that that call as a man and as a husband and as a father to step up and do what you have to do for the sake of your family um that may look different nowadays than it did for me. Um, mm -hmm. You know, there, there, there are other ways besides being a CNA. Uh, the path I took was the path that was in front of me. It may not be uh, anything uh, in front of, you know, any of these, the, the audience listeners may have completely different contexts. Um, but that, that idea of stepping up and doing what you got to do, even if you don't want to, uh, that that plays out in so many different uh, arenas and different con contexts. Um, yeah, so that that that's what comes to mind right no, away when you ask that question. Great answer. So um, how do you how do you do that for like, like the ten years? Like how do you just go through? Like what helped you to get through it? Maybe that'd be better. You know, better questions. Like what really helped you get through those ten years? Then that's a good question. And, uh, uh, for me, a lot of it was faith. Um, okay. it was, it was, a yeah, it was faith. Um, and so when I started in as a CNA, I was bivocational as a pastor as well. Mm -hmm. So the, the, the schooling I had gone to was for ministry and I, I had, uh, launched into, uh, starting a church while I was a CNA, oh, wow. um, yeah, so I was working full time as a CNA and launching this church. Um, it, we we did that for five years, five out of the ten, um, mm -hmm. and we ended up having to close it down. Uh, it didn't quite succeed, um, but uh, but that was that. That's kind of another track from what your question was, which is how what sustained me through that. But it it really was that 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 desire to have a good character. Um, and I remember, I, I distinctly remember walking onto the unit at the nursing home where I worked. And uh, actually, let me rewind just real quick. Yeah, go ahead. So how, how I got the first CNA job I got, um, I never should have gotten it. I wasn't qualified. Okay. I had the certification, but I didn't have the experience. And uh, so this nurse manager was looking to hire a guy CNA, which was very rare 30 years yeah. ago. Um, and uh, they had a patient who was, he was a for, he was a former, he may have been a Marine, but he, uh, he was paralyzed on one side Uh had skin problems and he would be verbally and physically abusive to all the girls. So okay. she was desperate to find a CNA who could care for him. That was a guy and, and help prevent the abuse from her other staff or on onto her other staff. So right. that's how I ended up getting my first CNA job is because I was a guy. Um, uh, I was not good. Um, she was very patient with me, helping me learn and, 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 and it was during that season that I recall 
walking onto the unit. And uh, there's a scripture in Psalms where I think it's David who prays. Um, you, you enable me to bend a bow of bronze. Oh. And I was thinking a bow of bronze is not normal. That, that seems like it would be really hard to pull. And that's kind of what this job feels like to me. Really, it's really hard. But God, you helped David pull this bow of bronze. You helped me to do this job and do it excellently. And um, just that persistence and that faith that God was going to help me do this. I, I, had a, I had a real confidence that I was where I belonged. And, um, and, and that, uh, so that, that helped me, but that, that helped me through for uh, many, many years too, because a lot of what I was doing was, um, like when, when I, I'm jumping ahead in the story, but, uh, once, when the church closed, we, uh, uh, that's when I decided to go to nursing school and become an RN. Um, that makes sense. Yeah. And then, uh, but even still there was an inner struggle. Like I, part of it was the mindset that I brought with me to the table. Um, I I look back at myself in my twenties and I think, man, was, was my head in the wrong place in many ways. It's like, um, uh, and I, I had confidence that God was working in me through these difficult circumstances. I, I remember later on in a nursing home, uh, I felt like I, I wasn't made for this. It's like, I'm taking care of these 40 patients. I'm getting blisters on my thumb, pushing pills. That's all I was doing was pushing pills. And it oh, was not man. satisfying. It wasn't, uh, it, and and it was a very... It's a very high bar nursing home. So, I mean, if you did everything right, that was, um, that wasn't really good enough. You needed to do better. Um, so it was a tough, yeah, it was a, it was a tough, uh, culture to work in, but, um, and I remember walking down the hall there in that nursing home on one of the units and it's like, God, get me out of here. And, And I felt like he responded to me and, uh, in a way that was kind of like, do you, do you want me to take the cake out half baked? He's like, oh, I know what you're talking about there. So, I guess not. Yeah, I'm here for a purpose, and sh- certainly it's to serve people and to be a light and you know help folks that need help in this mm-hmm. context. But but I'm also in a crucible that's shaping me, and and I look back on those years at that particular place, and and. Uh, really did shape me um in some good ways that and that's where i connected with the hospice uh nurse was at that same nursing home cool. yeah so that's really the center point of where it leads you it's funny we don't see that like in any journey we don't recognize them when we're in the moment right it's only when we're at the next destination do we actually look back like oh so that's how the dots connected and that's how we yeah. got here yeah yeah that's true and it's, yeah you know, and that's, for me, that's always been a tough thing. You know, when you recognize that sometimes you're not good enough and which downplays a lot of guys. Yeah. Because guys yeah. have a hard time with that. 
And then when you're doing everything, when you're doing that job description, you're showing on time, you're doing what you're supposed to do. And let's be honest, if you're in a hospital setting, any type of setting, it's remarkable one that you actually got through your day and just to do everything that needed to be happened, especially all the distractions in the day. And you're just like, okay, that happened. Okay, now I got to, you know, adjust this and then get this done. Yeah. And to be told to your face, like, oh, you're just, just doing average work. You're doing what's expected. I mean, I've been in that situation personally, and it's almost like a slap to your face. Like, why go the extra mile yep. then? And will I yep. ever be good enough for you? And yeah, yep. yeah, that's that's a tough situation because you know sometimes sometimes the shoe doesn't fit, and mm-hmm. it, they're saying that because it's their issue. Um, yeah. But. But that's one of the mindsets that I had to learn along the way. And it's I, I've heard some folks articulate it super good more recently, um, particularly Jocko Willink with his extreme ownership. Oh, and yeah. uh, um, there's the guy who does impact theory. Uh, he, he has a T-shirt says everything is my fault. Um, I don't know about that one. I've, I've heard of it, but I've never looked into it. I'm having a hard time dialing up his name for some reason, but uh, yeah, it's, it, it, that, that mindset of ownership is something that was hard earned for me. Um, and it was through situations like that, like, uh, you know, where the, the having a standard so high that nobody can meet it. Well, uh, that, that seemed like what, the situation was in that nursing home. It's like that nobody can meet this standard. Right. Um, but, but at the same time, striving to meet that standard mm-hmm. um, and, and making the adjustments I needed to. And um, because I wanted to be excellent and do what's right and not, not so much, to toe the line and please people, but to uh, uh, just be the best that I could be, and uh, yeah, that uh, that that was a hard-earned lesson for me, and it's one that took many <laughs> many iterations to really sink in. It's a good way to put it. Yeah, that's I, and. Having come through situations like that, um, I have a lot of confidence in life as a teacher. Mm. Um, and that's, uh, that's one of the ways uh, my wife and I kind of raised our kids is, you know, there's consequences to being certain ways. Mm. And we'll tell you about that. And if you decide not to listen to that, you're going to experience those consequences. And that's going to teach you better than I could have ever taught you. Um, it's like shielding kids from the consequences of their actions is detrimental to them because it's not reality. It's not reality. Um, it's true. Yeah. Yeah, I remember having a lot of conversations with my own father about different things. If I would take different routes, whether it's interacting, most of it was like either an internship or a job or a class or something like that, where, Mm -hmm. um, it's like, you know, if I did something, it's like, well, you kind of knew that this was going to happen. You kind of know their mindsets and everything. It's like, yeah, I don't know why I thought it was going to be different this time. It's not. Just so you just always yeah. have to learn and grow. And mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
you know, one thing that's one of the hardest lessons to really learn is that failure isn't necessarily a bad thing. And it's actually a great learning opportunity because mm-hmm. um, I, one of my family members actually taught me this is that they learn more from their failures and their successes because mm-hmm. they learned what not to do. Yes. And that's been such a powerful lesson that has really stuck with me all these years of, yeah, it is right now. I know what not to do and I know how to make things better. And, you know, you almost like you have to fail to learn. And I wish schools and just were given permission to allow kids just to make mistakes and learn from it. Mm-hmm. As someone who mm-hmm. used to work in the schools, it's hard for a kid to make, you know, to be, mm. you know, yeah. kind of that role where they have to sit there, do everything right. It can't be a disruption. And the schools help, you know, they're really bound up too. So it's the schools, they have yeah. their own restrictions. I know it's a later, not, you know, conversation for another day. So it really does seem like you have that, like that heart of a teacher, that, that really that servant's heart that wants to put other people first, that heart that wants to take care of other people, put others before yourself. So how did this now lead you to, I know that you're a certified coach. So how did that lead to that? Uh, that's a great question. Um, So with the travel, uh, uh, there's a lot of different factors that, that uh, I guess played into me moving in that direction. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll see how many I can think of. But the you know, working in a nursing home, working in hospice, uh, I encounter folks who um, who have had to endure a lot of suffering and one of the really sad things that became very obvious to me was that a lot of that suffering, not all of it, but a lot of it, maybe most of it is because of people's lifestyles. You know, Mm -hmm. the, the chronic illness that catches up with people in their seventies and eighties is where they were pointed at when they were in their twenties, thirties, forties, and fifties. It's like that living in a certain way, eating in a certain way, um, you know, using substances in certain ways, it wears people down and, and opens doors for diseases. And right. um, so that having that viewpoint um, encouraged me in the health, to move toward health and wellness coaching because I could help people further upstream than toward the very end where, where you're pretty much just managing symptoms and you're not going to you're not going to heal or cure anybody, you know, uh, at that point in the game. Mm. Uh, but you can prevent many of such things from developing if you uh, attend to a healthy lifestyle earlier on. Um, so that was one factor. Another is the uh, the having gone to school for ministry and worked as a pastor for many years. Um, and I've been involved in churches in in through the years in, in various capacities. Um, and that teaching uh, is rooted in that as well, that desire to teach and help people. Um, and one of my favorite ways of doing that is one on one. so that that feeds into the coaching uh, aspect as well. Uh, moving toward that. And uh, a third thing that I'll mention uh, finally is the idea of traveling that we've already talked about with the, you know, doing this travel nurse 
job is uh, is giving us the opportunity to do that. Um, but if I could develop or when I develop a coaching practice uh, that I can do remotely, then I wouldn't necessarily have to be in a place for three months uh, or six months. Um, so that's kind of where I'm aiming at is to develop a practice that I can take anywhere and work with folks uh, and, and at the same time be able to travel um, and be wherever my wife and I desire to go. Man, just have that that freedom just to travel and move. That's got to be the, the most exciting about, you know, what, what makes this decade so exciting is that there's so much more mm-hmm. flexibility. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I feel like I have over the years put some really good tools in my toolbox uh, that as as much as I get paid as a travel nurse uh, for the value that I give, uh, I feel like if moving into the coaching space, I'll be, I'll actually be able to give more value mm. um, to folks uh, over the long term, And, uh, and I'm excited about that. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. To look at that, you know, that impact that you can bring, especially with how much your expertise has taught you over the you know, two decades you've been doing this. The, uh, the health part is a, uh, is just part of it though. You know, the, the health and wellness certification, uh, I had thought about doing life coaching. Um, Mm -hmm. but I always feel felt a little too fuzzy for me. It's like, what, what exactly? I mean, life is a huge domain, (laughs) a coach for life is, uh, but at the same time, what, what, what I feel like I bring to the table is, uh, is related to health. It's also related to family. It's related Mm -hmm. to marriage. Uh, it's related to spirituality and faith um, and to mindset. So I, I feel like there's a real broad spectrum uh, perspective that I can help folks with uh, in one-on-one conversations that, uh, that, that you know, we'll see where it goes, but I'm pretty excited about the opportunity. Oh, definitely. I mean, I think you could, I mean, you have a lot to offer. I mean, you, you have a long marriage, so that gives you that credential, you know, that proof that you know someone had talked to you about marriage. Now you've been divorced, let's say, two times. And it's like, mm. huh, do I really want to talk to a guy who's been divorced two times without knowing much about this guy? Mm-hmm. And the fact that you raised children, you raised four of them. And with two of them that we've talked about so far have a career that has been placed in their hearts. And that's, I'm sure, a lot of what you have done just yeah. by being in ministry yeah. and being around it. And I'm feeling led to continue that part of you to live on. So yeah. it shows that you have your yeah. family together. And you know, as mm. the major theme of this whole podcast has really just been putting family first. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's so huge. That's so important. There, there really is no better foundation for society than a healthy family. There, right. there isn't. Um, and, uh, yeah, one of the things I'm, that that came to mind, as you mentioned, you know, my my daughters again, are, they're missionaries. When uh, routines are hugely important for little kids, and uh, bedtime routine in particular. And, and I remember one of the things that uh, that I, I I don't remember where I got the idea, but there's a psalm that kind of uh, pulls from the the uh, Levitical blessing. And I, okay. I decided when the kids were really little that I was going to say that over them every night. 
in a responsive way. So I would say the first part and they would say the second part. And it takes not even not even 30 seconds. So it's, it's, it's a blip in their day, but it became a blip in every one of their days for many years. Uh, and it went, I would say, the Lord bless you and keep you, cause his face to shine on you and give you grace, which is the Levitical blessing in the mm-hmm. Old Testament. And they would say um, that his ways may be known in the earth and his salvation to all nations, which is taken from one of the Psalms. I don't remember the number, but I would say that to them every night. And they they would say it back without thinking, you know, see how quick they could say it. And um, it was light, you know, it wasn't right. like get on your knees and close your eyes and put your, it wasn't, you know, we weren't heavy like that. But um, I remember when one of my daughters got married in Mexico to another missionary. Um, I think that particular routine came up and one of my girls said, well, what, what else would you expect when you said that to us every night, you know, that his ways would be known in, in all the earth. It's, wow. Wow. Who would have thought just a little, it's like a little drip of water every night. And, and here they are serving folks in Mexico, uh, you know, building houses for folks who don't have the, the means and hosting youth groups and teaching them how to, to serve the poor. It's like, it's pretty, uh, pretty amazing. The long-term results of a simple routine. Uh, certainly there's more to what brought oh, them to, to that than that. But, um, that was well, a little that's, piece. That's what's so cool about life though. It's all about these like little variables, like these little things mm-hmm. here and there mm-hmm. and doing mm-hmm. it consistently that makes a profound impact again, that we see later in life, but we don't see it Mm. right then. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why, that's why it's so awesome. Like uh, when you just reflect on life and how, where your life has come by, because I know a lot of times people people I talk to, there's a lot of fear. There's a lot of fear. Mm. Like how did I get my life here? Like how did I screw Mm. up so bad that I would end up here? Mm. When my problems aren't always as bad as X, Y, and Z, Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like, well, you're not going to pinpoint because life is full of every decisions we make. There might yeah. be like maybe like one or two major ones. Sure. But life is full of decisions. And like you said in the podcast that there are consequences and are we aware of those consequences or not at the time determines yeah. what's going to happen. And it's also yeah. our response to what happens. Are you going to take the response to get better? Be paralyzed by fear? And the person mm-hmm. thinking of, you know, it, it was more of a, they, they were paralyzed. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a good, uh, that, that's a helpful way of looking at things. Because, you know, there are, I mean, people get into tough situations. And, mm-hmm. and one of the heaviest burdens when you're in one of those situations is recognizing that, in this because of my own decisions I, it's my fault and uh that, that's but if you can take ownership of that that gives you footing to be able to make a change it's like right. uh, but if you don't you blame other people then you're powerless to to kind of change the tide so to speak um but sometimes it's big decisions like you mentioned you know but it's more often the smaller decisions that kind of add up. Right. And, uh, and one of the things that I 
having worked in hospice and, and I also worked in uh, uh, drug and alcohol detox for a period of time. Oh, okay. um, one of the things that I think is oftentimes forgotten uh, is the randomness of life. You know, it's like mm. sometimes it isn't your fault that you got this terminal disease and there may have been nothing you could do to prevent that. Um, you know, it's, it's one of those random variables that, uh, it, but if you can develop yourself into the kind of character that can learn to handle whatever comes your way for whatever reason is coming your way, um, you, you're going to now you're, you're going to weather those kinds of storms a lot better. Um, and they might not sink your ship. Uh, right. Yeah. So one of the biggest questions that I get a lot and to, to answer this question is so tricky because in my position, I have to be so careful how to answer it. But a lot of times I would get like that. They, a lot of times people with, they get a disease or they get, let's say they get diagnosed with like anxiety or depression mm-hmm. or terminal disease. A lot of times people will say that they feel like God is punishing them. Like they must've done something so horrendous that God is now punishing them for uh, whatever action or inaction that they, they did, that they chose. So kind of like in your role, have you ever faced that when someone just like looks at you dead in the eye and they feel like that God is like punishing them? That is a tricky question. And I, I, I'm not dialing up a specific situation uh, where someone has asked that exact question to me, Mm -hmm. but, um, but there certainly is that kind of a struggle for many folks when they're dealing with a terminal illness or something that has come to them seemingly from God. Um, and there, there's the, you know, like, if you dig down into that theologically, there's the the reality that, you know, God doesn't necessarily cause those things. God may allow those things, which, and there's a, there's a distinction there that's worthy oh, to be not. made. Um, but when you're, when you're the brunt of something taking, taking you out, uh, that's not comforting. <laughs> um, <laughs> not, not at all. No. Um and and I what I what I can say, mm-hmm. sitting with folks who are struggling with that kind of thing, is that sometimes the answer is not the answer. It's like that's a question that I don't have an answer for. Mm-hmm. And and it's very possible that you may not get an answer to it either. It may be an unanswered question. Which, and I mean, I, I agree. I mean, that's one of the hardest things because obviously we're not God and we don't know mm-hmm. how things or anything like that, to, especially when someone's suffering too. And they just yeah. feel like they're getting beat against the wall and they get knocked down. And no matter how many times they get up, they just feel like they're always getting knocked down. It's just like, when will this end? Yeah, not necessarily hurt themselves, or in some cases, yes, but mm -hmm. it's more like when's this pain just going to stop? Right, right, and 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 I think I feel like 
most of the time the most helpful approach uh, when when you you actually don't have the power to change the situation um, is is not to sugarcoat it or whitewash it or right. or leave mm. but it's like that's your problem not mine so uh, the the what the most helpful thing that you can do is be present amen 100%. is is um it's like I, I don't have an answer but i'm here you know i i don't have anything that i think will say will help but i'm here um that that makes a difference for folks yeah because it it prevents you from being judgmental because you don't know the person's mm -hmm. situation Exactly. So that way it prevents you from looking at, let's say, all your script, all the scriptures say, well, God says you can't be tempted by evil, says God doesn't cause evil. I mean, like we said, there's a difference between allowing something and causing something. It's a huge yep. difference. Yep. And, you know, in, in my life and everything I've come to learn and through lots of mistakes is 95% of people just want to be listened to. They just want to see mm -hmm. if you care. And yes, they might say things to see if they see your reaction and things like that. Yeah. But ultimately, they just want to see if you're just going to be like a human. And I say just being, like you said, being present, being mindful of that the person's going through so much pain. Like, listen, you've been beat. You've been hurt. You know, it's okay to ask those kind of questions. Mm -hmm. Just be careful because sometimes you get an answer. Yeah. Yeah, and and I think another thing that's kind of a lesson I've learned working in hospice is um, there are questions that don't have answers, right. and but what do you do with that? It's like you can wrestle with a question, and sometimes there's sometimes there's benefit in wrestling with the questions, mm -hmm. um, but I, I also think there's more benefit on the other side of the unanswered question in opening up to mystery mm -hmm. it's like yeah. there you know as as much as we can know as as an individual or as human beings uh you in the broad scope of what there is that can be known we we really know nothing it's like that uh, it's, it's like true. looking up it's like looking up at the sky at night uh a dark night where the stars are all out there's there's something that you can sense that isn't it, it it almost it's almost irreverent to try to put words to it there's there's an awe there's a wonder yes. there's a mystery and there are some things that can bring you to the precipice of that looking at the stars at night uh, you know uh, 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 certain encounters with individuals and i think end of life and suffering can do that too um, I, I think for me working in hospice, that's one of my biggest takeaways is the, um, the value of mystery and I, I like encountering that. that. I, I like that perspective. It's cause it's not necessarily pessimistic. It's quite optimistic because there's, it's always searching for that meaning, searching for an understanding. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, and this is kind of going to the why is, Sometimes trying to find purpose in the pain. Sometimes people are okay with pain, but a lot of times people like, like to have like a purpose that there's a reason for this pain. 
And I've seen people who've gotten diseases and they've connected with other people and they would never have yeah. formed that connection if someone didn't get sick. Yeah. As unfortunate that it may be, but then they thought, you know, at least now you know you're not alone and suffering this. And that's such that's also the biggest relief, knowing people are not alone and having those thoughts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I love I love the way these uh, the conversation went to getting really deep. That's that's just amazing mm-hmm. how conversations just can work and transform. And yeah, so there, I had uh, oh, yeah. sorry, oh, no, no, I had uh, I, I had a thought. I think I may have tweeted this at some point. You know, mm-hmm. there's uh, kind of thinking about this idea of mystery and the transcendent, and you know, there's 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 a capacity to know that we have as human beings that is, it's an appetite. We want to know stuff. We want to know why. We want to know what's out there. We want to know why things happen. Um, some of those answers to those why questions are bigger than we have the capacity to understand. It's like right. one of the things that makes God God is the fact that he's beyond our full human comprehension. You know, if, yeah. if we could, if we could fully understand him, he wouldn't be God. It's um, a very good point. And, and uh, I had the thought kind of pondering on this, you know, that there, there's a, the old bumper stickers, you know, Jesus is the answer. And, uh, and I don't disparage that at all, but, but what if instead of pushing Jesus as the answer, we push Jesus as the question. Oh, so kind of flipping a little bit. Yeah. It's like, Jesus asked questions all the time. Right. He was he was not dogmatic about who he was. And uh, uh working in hospice and being a person of faith, there is uh, a sense at times, you know, that you're on holy ground. And mm-hmm. uh you know, when someone takes their last breath, that really is a holy moment. Um and what's on the other side? I I have my beliefs, but I mm-hmm. don't know. I don't know what's on right. the other side. And a lot of what my beliefs uh, are in this life, you know, I believe things, but I, I don't know. Um, so there's that, there, it kind of, uh, it takes a little bit of the pressure off mm-hmm. um, being a person of faith to, to trust that, um, you know, God's got stuff where, where I can't figure it out. Um, and, uh, thinking about Jesus in, in terms of being a question, because a question affects people different than an answer. I like that. Cause you know, if I give you go search and inquire and ask questions, which leads to more questions. Yeah. When you get an answer, there's a satisfaction and you kind of close the book. So I have exactly. my answer. Yeah, and, so. and I, and I don't, if someone encounters Jesus as the answer and closes the book, you're doing it wrong. Cause hmm. I think he, his, his an encounter with Jesus is much more like a question. And, and if you look, if you read scripture, the, the disciples and the folks in the new Testament who encountered Jesus, it was much more like they were encountering something that evoked something in them further. Right. And uh, yeah, but uh, I, like I like that a lot because that that kind of keeps that 
like when you look up in the night sky, as you were talking about that awe, it's like always wanting to know more and discovering more. And right. just like, okay, yep, cool. We're good. Got it. Yeah, exactly. Open. I like that. That's yeah. that's an I've never heard someone put it that way before. Really like that that approach versus you know, it's a question and you go to the source for questions and then commentaries mm-hmm. and different podcasts and different uh pastors and different ideas just to continue to learn more and grow because everyone has their own different teaching styles. Right. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Good. So as we yeah. wrap up and definitely enjoyed your time here. What is like a lasting comment? Like what's a like a lasting kind of statement that you want to leave everyone with here today? Uh, yeah, find opportunities to embrace mystery. Um, yeah, because they are all around if your eyes are open to see it. Um, yeah, find opportunities to embrace mystery. And, and it, I think it begins with noticing and just, and, and yeah. You gotta, you gotta claim that quote. You gotta, you gotta find out how you ever like claim quotes and make it. Cause it's, that, that's a very elegant quote. So I like it a lot. Cause that way, who doesn't love a good mystery and a good sense of adventure. Yeah. And that's what life is. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's, it's a whole storybook of, happiness, joy, sadness, anger, mm-hmm. bitterness, mm-hmm. Yeah. and all the rays of emotions and the wonder and the adventure. So you guys yeah. heard it well. Keep the mystery alive. Keep asking questions. Keep seeking opportunities. Continue your path in being a man of action. And remember, in today's man of action, put your family first. And... Do not lose your sense of adventure for the mysteries alive, just waiting for it to be unfolded. But you must seek that opportunity. This, this has been a great podcast. Again, thank you, Steve, for coming on. I hope everyone has a blessed day, and I'll see you in the next video. Bye. Thanks, Zach.